This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome. It is the Ringer Friday show. As always, I'm your host, Benjamin Solak, ready to walk you through the upcoming week of NFL action. That is week 13. I tried to call it week 12 in the pre-show and they were like, no, Ben, week 13. We always get totally lost, in my opinion, come November, December, where I just don't remember who's playing, why they're playing, who's active, what the sport is, what the rules are, as the refs also forgot on Thursday Night Football Cowboys against Saints. That's a different story. I'm joined, as always, by my inimitable co-hosts, Stephen Ruiz and Kalen Jones. Fellas, how are we feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. I had a little uh, sparring match with Old Takes Exposed last night, and I, I got a little redemption. Thank you, Taysom, for that performance. It's very rare to see somebody go toe-to-toe with Old Takes Exposed, because the idea of Old Takes Exposed is that he always knows. All Takes Exposed started firing off his own opinions. That's Dude. against the rules. You can't do that. Steven's had a hell of a year, man. Congrats. You're, like, that's the first time I've ever seen someone who's like, Old Takes Exposed, Old Takes Exposed. I didn't know that was possible. I, oh, I ratioed him. Big, big accomplishment. <laughs> also, the weirdest hill to die on if you've made your... I, I don't want to like flame Old Takes Exposed here. It's a generally fun account. The weirdest hill to die on if you have <laughs> a long in history, a long experience of exposing people's bad previous takes is like selling out for the 29-year-old $140 million. Excuse me, he's, he's 31. 31-year-old quasi Taysom Hill quarterback, whatever that was. I, I will say, in a pure vacuum, when they just put Taysom back there and they run just like QB power stuff, it is a cool offense. It's Whenever it becomes anything more than that, either contractually yeah. or schematically, then I'm like, stop it. Just go back to that. That was cool and I liked it. The one drive where they let him just be a runner and he did the hurdle, like that was right. that was awesome. And I'm not going to hate on that. Like I like watching fun football plays, and, and when he he's run. running, yeah. it's it's fun. What he can't do when he has to drop back first, then it's like he can't run anymore. He's very bad at escaping pressure and scrambling. Like he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league at, at it. And if you're this type of quarterback, that's one thing, one weakness you can't have. That's the thing. Like I stopped hating on. Taysom Hill like I, I stopped like it's it's funny at this point like <laughs> I, 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 I he's a finesse hall of famer I don't know why Sean Payton is obsessed with him and I think the clip um, from him joining Kevin Clark's slow news day of saying that 31 other teams would have been interested in Taysom Hill had he had they put them on the trade block or something like that like that is not age well at all but 
it, it's it's just it kind of falls in line with the Saints as an organization, right? Like they kind of do this whole finessing of either the salary cap or our emotions or idea of what a good quarterback is, and it's because of their one Super Bowl and their success with you know Drew Brees at quarterback, right? And they kind of coast off of that. Their defense is good though. Like, they did a pretty good job last night. I strongly believe that Sean Payton was bored one day, and he was like, what if I just try to convince as many people as possible that Taysom Hill is a real quarterback? Like, can I – like, what? how much power does an NFL head coach have? Let's see if we can do this. And listen, he's got a lot of people, and I think it's pretty hysterical, and I respect it. It's exceptional commitment to the bit. I'll just say that. As someone who commits to bits, I I appreciate Sean Payton's commitment. I do very quickly. I want to grab your thoughts, Kalen, on uh, college football head coaching switches, which I know is not the topic of the Ringer Friday show. But Kalen wrote a very good piece uh, earlier this year about the stakes behind USC's coaching search. They kind of killed it uh, in a way I don't think anybody was ready for. Uh, Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly and his family uh, to LSU, and then Marcus Freeman getting absolutely lit with Notre Dame. How do we feel about uh, all of the dominoes that have fallen here in college football? Wow. Yeah, it, it was a lot to take in. I think it was a home run hires, I mean, across the board, even for LSU. I know that, you know, character fit. I don't know. Brian Kelly, LSU, that doesn't sound like it's going to fit at all, but he's going to find a way to win football games. Um, even with Marcus Freeman, like everything that I've read about him, everything that I know about him, at least, suggests that he's someone who's going to be able to step in and immediately. Again, we saw from the video, like, the, you know, the kids at Notre Dame really respect him. They've built some type of team culture that they really have a lot of faith in. And so we'll see whether or not he can get over to Hump. I think Brian Kelly kind of maximized what Notre Dame is able to do in this college football playoff era, but. You know, when they expand, we'll see. Um, I think USC's getting Lincoln Kelly is really the game changer here because mm-hmm. obviously the the idea is like what's the easiest way to get to the national championship? And I think Lincoln probably saw that, you know, obviously Oklahoma entering the SEC. Now you're in a bunch of – you're in a conference where it's a lot tougher. Um, but being in the Pac-12, you know, you go 12-1, and one, you have a much fe- more feasible opportunity, you have a chance to resurrect – um, USC in a really fertile recruiting ground. Again, not trying to jump too much into college football, but Lincoln Riley spurning the NFL for big money at USC. I don't know if any real numbers have been reported. I know yeah. we've seen fake numbers about like his house getting bought out in Norman and <laughs> you know USC giving him houses out here, which is nuts. But you know, shouts out to him. Um, we'll see whether or not he can resurrect USC. I would have loved to see Brian Kelly go to USC and do like a fake Californian accent. Like, you know, that, that SNL sketch, the Californians, he would have just done that and been talking about, like, various highways and traffic. Yeah, we don't say I. We don't say the I, whatever. You just say the freeway name. In terms of blue blood programs that I love to hate, USC getting Lincoln Riley sucked. But then Marcus Freeman going to Notre Dame was like, oh, okay. The balance of the world is restored. All things are equal. And I just hate on USC even more. And I will very quietly, very secretly, kind of sort of root for Notre Dame in the future. Don't tell anybody. We are talking NFL football. Uh, as we are supposed to on this show. Upcoming Sunday slate, uh, we start, as always, with the games of the week. There are two that we have highlighted this week. Uh, The extremely obvious one, the long-awaited one, is the New England Patriots against the Buffalo Bills. This is pretty much... They're going to play twice in the next... uh, I think it's three weeks they have the bye. Um, But we're going to have pretty much the AFC East decided over the course of these matchups. Right now, the Patriots and the Bills are both top two in AFC playoff expectancy. Uh, For Brian Burke and the playoff leverage at ESPN, the winner of this game pretty much has a 99% chance of making the play. 
playoffs, right? This is a win and you're in game. It doesn't mean lose and you're out necessarily, but win and you're pretty much locked in for making the playoffs, whether that's as the divisional champion or as a wild card. Bill's arrow kind of pointing down over the last month. Patriots arrow pointing way up over the last month. I've had a absolute nightmare of a time trying to figure out who's going to win this game, which is why it's Steven's job to tell us what's going to happen and why it's going to happen. So Steven, take it away. The more you think about it, the harder it is to pick this game. When I, like at the beginning of the week, I was sure the Patriots were going to win just because of how they matched up. You go back to that Colts game. You can't get that Colts game out of your mind for the Bills where they, the Colts just ran it down their throats and they couldn't stop Jonathan Taylor. And the way that they ran it down their throats was like the trap blocks, the, the different run concepts is very reminiscent of how the Patriots have called their run game in the past and how they're calling it this year. But then you look at how Sean McDermott is able to take advantage of, I don't want to say limited quarterback. No, I do want to say limited quarterbacks, quarterbacks who beat you in one particular way. I think his track record there gives me some confidence that the Bills defense is going to be able to hold up against this Patriots offense. And I have like a weird comparison for the Patriots offense. It's going to sound weird, but hear me out. It threatened you in the same way that the Ravens threaten you. Like, and I know that the quarterbacks are totally different, but it's, we're going to run this, we're going to run this downhill run game. But you can't overcommit to stopping it because if you do, you have to worry about this other thing. For the Ravens, this other thing is Lamar Jackson just being amazing. For New England, it's screen passes, it's reverses, it's end arounds, it's double passes. They fake a screen one way, they throw a screen the other way. And then on top of all that, they have this massive library of like play action concepts they can go to if you do over pursue. And that's the issue for me. Like, is. Buffalo, if they insist on playing nickel personnel, five defensive backs against base personnel, which they did against the Saints on Thanksgiving too, are they going to be able to hold up without being aggressive in the front seven? Because if they are aggressive in the front seven, there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some big plays. Because Josh McDaniels is one of the best constraint play callers in the NFL, especially this season. Right. Let's talk about constraint plays really quick, because that's one of the most important things right now to me with what the Patriots do. A constraint play, the best way of describing it, is a play you run until the defense stops it so that you can run other stuff, right? Basically, if you think about like a, an inside zone run, like just like a little run between the tackles with a bubble screen tagged to the outside, the bubble screen is the constraint. If defenses sell out to stop the inside zone run, we are going to throw the bubble. And we are going to throw it, and we are going to throw it, and we are going to throw it every single time you give us like eight yards off, or you give us like, you know, two blockers to two defenders. And then we run it enough such that you finally have to move a dude up. You finally have to move a safety over. And once you do that, now we have you where we want you. Maybe that's to run the inside zone, actually, or maybe that's to run a play action or run whatever. But this constraint play is going to be, we, we're going to run this enough to force you to respect it. We're not going to let you cheat. And for the Patriots, that kind of becomes, uh, like, it, it, it doesn't function as their bubble screens. It's more so like their trick plays and their reverses and stuff, where it's mm-hmm. the sense of, like, we're going to live with, with with the run and we're going to have all this heavy personnel and then we're going to throw these quick games and we're going to throw these slants and we're just going to try to get you to a point where you feel like you have to be right up here and then when you see us you know do a little handoff to Jacoby Myers you're going to fly to the football and forget for that split second that Jacoby Myers is a 50-yard arm and once you do we just made an explosive play out of nothing that's the thing that's right. that's what amazed me about the Patriots offense 
a lot of offenses run trick plays. It reminds me of like Stefanski and the Browns last year. No team was getting as much juice out of their trick plays as the Patriots are this season. And that is straight scheming. Like that's not that that's just knowing your stuff. That's just knowing how to move defenses. That's understanding the psychology of defenders. That's just Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick being really, really good at their jobs. To add to your point, this is why performance on screen passes is so volatile from year to year. Uh, Next to it being a small sample size, but like even like Andy Reid, who's one of the best screen game designers in the league, he, even he has down years every so often. The reason why is screen passes don't work because necessarily because they're designed well in a vacuum. It's because of all the other stuff you do on offense forces defenses to commit to that stuff, and that opens up the screen passes. So if you're not doing the other stuff well, the screen passes aren't going to work so well either. And that's why the Patriots trick plays and all these constraint plays that weren't working last year. That's why they're working this year. And so how much of that comes down to timing? Because y'all are experts in this. Like, how much of that comes down to timing? We're, we're literally making this up as we go, right? I've never coached a screen pass my entire life. Um, right. <laughs> like, the timing and the synergy and the chemistry of it is is important, right? But that's important for a lot of plays. The, the I would say for screen passes, and maybe this is heresy, and like an offensive coach would hear this and disagree, but like you know, jokes aside about having never coached a screen pass, it's nice to have outside of perspectives because you kind of think about things in different paradigms. Right, right, right. No play is more conditional on a defender, like, behaving a certain way psychologically. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it, like a, a screen pass absolutely needs your linebackers to be scared of stuff behind them or scared of stuff directly in front of them. You have to get them moving downhill or back, like, vertically. You know what I mean? It's very much about, like, manipulating an individual's head. As opposed to like, okay, if we run smash over here and levels over here, somebody's going to open up just because of like the laws of numbers, right? Screens is very much so like we want to get this defensive end shooting downhill. We want to get this linebacker terrified of a dig behind him. And once we do that and we get the ball to our running back, Dalvin Cook's going for 25 yards, right? And like that, that's kind of like, it's, it's very much more so like, like pointed, which is why guys like Reed and guys like, like Belichick McDaniels, guys like Stefanski, who just have this knack for understanding how to take one dude, like, you know, Steven let's put up his memes with the Kyle Shanahan scope, right? Shanahan puts a linebacker in the microscope, just hammers that guy, right? The, like screens are Shanahan scope plays where you just find one or two guys that you think you know how they play. You know what, what makes their eyes flash red, what makes them tick, and you just try to hammer that, right? You, you, you go at it that way. So that's like kind of how I think about screens. Screens are a huge part of how the Patriots run offense. And I think they're bigger for the Patriots this year because – They've had problems passing against man coverage this year, and screens are most effective against man coverage because if you get the the running back, the guy who's responsible for the running back, if you block him or you get him going somewhere else, then it's going to be a big play. So that's why I think it's such an important tool for them. The thing is, the Bills are one of the best coached teams in the league. And a zone defense. (laughs) And a zone defense, and they're well coached every every single year and i know the trey white injury hurts but i honestly don't think it affects them in this game i don't i don't think it's that big of an issue for them in this game because i don't think you really have to worry about receivers on the outside and i i don't i don't know i don't don't expect them to play a lot of man coverage i don't expect the areas that trey white tends to cover to be a problem area against this patriots uh offense and one thing that i noticed uh on film against the titans is the titans were playing their safeties at shallow depth it was kind of like how they played Lamar Jackson and how the Bills in particular have played Lamar Jackson where they play a lot of quarters they play Tennessee played a lot of quarters against uh the Patriots last Sunday it was it was like a third of the dropbacks and that's what the Bills used to or have done against Lamar Jackson they just play their safeties at like 10 yards depth 
and they say you're going to have to beat us over the top. And I think that's the best strategy, and I think that's how defenses are going to start playing this offense. And it's going to be interesting to see how McDaniels and Jones react and adjust to this condensed style of defense that kind of constricts their what they do yeah when i was talking about how this bill's defense might play especially in the absence of white with with tredavious white who's out for the season with an acl the bill star corner uh i was talking about on the gambling show on wednesday and right it it, i went a different direction with it where i said all right you have levi wallace you have dane jackson who's going to be their their outside guy now he's their backup corner tron johnson's going to stay in the nickel dane jackson played press quarters at at pit right he was up on the line levi wallace at alabama was up on the line like I don't know if they're they're going to feel as confident playing as much zone as they did when they had White in there because zone is so conditional on chemistry. I, I wonder if you when you put Jackson in there, you say, okay, we're going to put these guys up on the line. We feel like we can get away with pressing these New England receivers because they're not that great. You know what I mean? Like Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers, they're fine players, but they're not like, well, you know, like like you like you alluded to, Stephen, you're worried about like a star receiver, you know, I'm Tredavious White, the Patriots don't really have that. So put them up on the line, and then that lets you kind of sneak dudes into the box. And that's kind of where you want to be when you're the Bills because you living in a too high world against the Patriots, they're going to muscle you up front, and they're going to run the football down your throat. But I think you could live in both worlds at the same. You could play press quarters and still have your safeties right. where they've had. I think they could, I honestly think they could find a middle ground that really works for them. And all, you're playing too high, but you're not playing light in the box. You have two extra fitters that are coming down late. I think you get nine in the box. That's what quarters coaches like to say. We have nine in the box because we have two right. two safeties can come down and defend the run. I think that's the way you have to defend this team. Tennessee had the right game plan. The players didn't execute it well, whether it was bad eyes or just bad technique. And it's, it's not like Mac Jones played well. He, was, he had a, a PFF grade in the 50s. So it's not like I'm just hating on him. He had the highest EPA, play of, uh, EPA per play of the week, our third highest and the highest passer rating of the week. And he didn't even play well. That's how good this offense is going right now. So I think that's the key is shutting down the scheme. And I think McDermott is going to have a chance to shut down the scheme because he's such a good coach, such a good game planning coach. So stopping the Patriots offense is hard. We all, I think that's, that's our last eight minutes of podcasting there. So this is a difficult <laughs> scheme to deal with, even for the limitations on Mac, limitations to the receivers, whatever. Uh, I want to swing this pendulum the other way, and then we'll meet somewhere in the middle when we wrap this up. Last year, if we had had this whole conversation, I would have tossed with, but Josh Allen and the Bills offense can outscore anybody. So this is a great conversation, but if Bills and Allen score 30, which is what they do, then it's kind of moot. We're not still there, right, Kalen? Like we're, we, we no longer have that degree of faith in this Bills offense to say, all right, Patriots are going to get theirs. They're going to be able to run the football. They're going to score long drives, but Bills can hang with them. Doesn't matter the defense, right? We we have fallen below that bar, and if we have fallen below that bar, how concerned are you that this Patriots defense can be able to take so much wind out of Allen and the Bills' offense that this becomes lopsided? Yeah, no, I'm definitely concerned because again, you look at the strengths of New England's game. They're able to run the football. They do a lot of clock control. They give you limited chances as an offense to you know score points. And this is a New England defense that leads the league in points allowed. Um, the third in EPA point per play. Um, I think they're like fourth or fifth in, in yards allowed this season. So I, I think it's a really tough task if you're asking Josh Allen to play hero ball. And especially against a defense that is schemed up and coached really, really well. Um, I know that Stephon Diggs has played, you know, he's, he's had a pretty decent stretch over the second half of the year so far. Um, I, I don't know if they have too many other options like who have, really emerged ironically enough I know we talk about 
how well constructed like the the Bills offense is and their receivers are but you know between I, I, it really does come down to Allen I mean like if he's able to limit the turnovers I think that gives them a chance but the fact that they're not able to run the ball effectively um and the fact that New England's offense you know again they're able to limit your opportunities as an offense I'm not too confident in the Bills being able to pull this off and it comes down to whether or not Allen is you know playing at, at 2019 or 2020 Josh Allen level He's mostly been in between. We had a funny experience in the Colts-Bucks game last week uh, where the Colts lost and Frank Wright came under fire because he didn't run the football enough or something. And meanwhile, like we were all kind of sitting here being like, that helped us believe in the Colts. They lost the game, but we saw them throw the football a lot more effectively without the running game early. Like That was an important thing to see for them to be a complete team, right? I have that feeling a little bit with the Bills here, where if the Bills lose, but I see them run the football decently well against the Patriots, I'll honestly be like, ah, like this, this, this is an improvement that we were hoping to see. And they've tried to get there. You saw Zach Moss go healthy scratch, and Matt Breida not only get activated, but be a big part of their running game early against the Saints. In the opening script... They largely benched Cole Beasley, who's their usual slot receiver, for Gabriel Davis, who's a 6'3", 205, 210-pound receiver, who's a much better blocker. And they got him involved in blocking for the running game, not for the Josh Allen read option game, for the legit actual like under center handoff running game. To me, that was a little bit of a preamble to what the Bills are probably hoping they can get off the ground through December and into the playoffs. The ability to go under center, hand the ball to Brita, hand the ball to Singletary, and be in, you know, like not actual 12 personnel, but quasi 12 personnel with Dawson Knox and Gabriel Davis. It's very quasi because Knox himself is like not really a full tight end, but enough blocking with those guys that they feel like they can get seven blockers moving and actually run a variety of things. I don't know if they're ready for the Patriots right now with that, but I would love to see them be able to just run it a little bit better against New England than they did against the Saints. And the Saints are good run defense, and then do it again, and then do it against the Patriots again. And then if, they, if that train kind of gets rolling a little bit, it'd be so nice for Buffalo to have a running game to kind of take some of these teams out of these two high looks come playoff time. The one issue with the run game that they've turned to is it doesn't really mesh well with what they do in the, what, what yes. they do well in the passing game, and that's going to be a problem. I don't think it's something you could solve in season, unfortunately. That's the thing is they took Beasley off the field, right? You're like you're kind of changing the identity of how you throw the ball in order to do it, right? One big thing is John Feliciano's back at practice and Spencer Brown, but I think Feliciano is even bigger because he's the guy that's a, he runs the protections basically, and he when he's not out there, they put it on the center, Mitch Morse, who's not so good at it. But, like, if you read articles from last year about the protection and how their offensive line improved, it was all Feliciano, like, orchestrating things. So getting him back against a Bill Belichick defense, which has been known to fool a quarterback or two, is pretty big. I think that's a big deal. And I think we can't discount the fact that Bill Belichick has had so many problems against mobile quarterbacks. And he's going against one of the best scramblers and one of the best creators in the NFL. And here's my theory on why he has problems against mobile quarterbacks. Because what Belichick does well is he kills you on third down. He gets you in third and long, and then he throws shit at you, and you don't know how to handle it. A lot of the times, he's taking away what you do best. So he's doubling a receiver that you want to throw the ball to. Maybe it's Diggs. Maybe it's Beasley. Well, when you have to worry about a quarterback who can run, you don't have that extra guy to double the main threat. And those main threats are as good as they are against other teams that don't take away main threats on third down. And I think that's what gives them so many problems. It limits his options as a game planner 
and that's his big thing. That's been his biggest big advantage throughout his coaching career, and I don't think he has it against mobile quarterbacks. So that's another reason why I have some hope for the Bills, even though on paper it's not a great matchup. And I fully intended on picking the Patriots when we started recording this, but I just – in my mind, switch my pick to the Bills. I think the Bills win this game. Yeah. Josh Allen this year has not been as good as a passer outside of the pocket. However, no player has more EPA per play on scrambles than Josh Allen does. Not Jalen Hurts, not Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen, number one EPA per play on scrambles. I think the Patriots still win. Uh, There is a big gap in terms of the the physical nature of the team right and i think that i was talking with uh joe marino who does locked on bills a couple weeks ago and he was like the bills are just they're just soft right now whether it's like they've been taking their opponents lightly and they're gonna pick it up for the patriots like maybe that's the case but they they, they're not playing with nearly the same fire nearly the same the nobody believes in us ism that they had in 2020 right where Allen suddenly took a big jump like they kind of feel like a little bit of like a a sleepy contending team that knew they were going to be a contending team and it's just like there and kind of don't have that that extra edge right now and that's the thing about the the Patriots is that they're just super edgy I feel like playing the Patriots is gonna build that edge and like, I hope yeah so. I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. be up for the Jaguars and the Texans either if I was a player on the Bills but when the Patriots come to town I'm gonna be playing hard so I don't know if that's gonna be an issue for me at least I don't know I I, I very much hope so and I'd love to see it and I think it's gonna be a, a well contested game I'd be surprised if you get a lopsided result in either direction can I also start a little uh, a watch because uh, last week was really the first cold weather football weather type of game for Mac Jones in New England and let me tell you it was his worst game throwing the football and there was some ducks quacking in that game <laughs> so uh, that's just something to keep an eye on what's the hand size on Mac we got we got a golf situation up in here Mm, mm, mm. hand size nine and three quarters nine and three quarters relax it's not all hand size arm strength matters too we should mention that as well just in terms of predicting the game right now projected forecast uh 25 degrees gusts of 15 to 20 rain snow mixes uh to me that favors running game and uh you know that yeah, that's, that's uh yeah. that's a, a reason to, to believe in the patriots and, and their ability to create a lot of offense out of very low dot throws so I'm Patriots, but man, I think it's going to be a fun game, a good game, a tough game. And like I said, I think there's a very easy way for the Bills to lose this game, but still impress me with how they play. Yep, I'm taking New England too. Uh, again, like you, like you just mentioned, that run game, man. Bills are winning now. Oh, yep. man. See, that, that's the thing. I don't. I hate being the deciding pick. I got to just start sliding in my pick early. <laughs> we 3 0 Rams against the Packers last week, right? Did we? Yeah. We 3 0 Bucks against Colts, and. Buck second yeah. half saved our bacon, but I'm pretty sure we were all three of us on the Rams. Were we? I thought I, I thought one of us picked. I him. distinctly remember we were unanimous on multiple games, and I was like, "There's no way this ends well." We did say it was going to be a high scoring game, so we got that right. Yeah, that game was the best. Anyway, uh, that's Bills uh, Patriots. It should be an extremely fun one. Our second game of the week, Kalen, this one is yours. Is Broncos Chiefs decisively less close yeah. on the spread? It's a nine and a half point line right now. It's Ten at some books for Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City coming off of the bye after riding the ship uh, during a no-loss November. Congratulations to Kansas City. And then the Broncos, who are still sitting here in an extremely uh, tight and fraught AFC West, looking and hoping for that one win that'll kind of push them over the edge. Vic Fangio defenses have historically been pretty good against the Kansas City Chiefs offense there in Denver. Upset brewing, or is Kansas City just too good right now? They, they've reached their point where they're, they're back to dominance. Uh, I know Vic Fangio had a quote earlier this week saying that he felt the Chiefs are back and I mean maybe we'll see they only put up 19 points I know it was kind of a weird game and again the Cowboys are pretty good but Mahomes had no touchdowns uh, he had his lowest dot game 5.4 yards 
Uh, that was week 11 against the Cowboys in their 19-9 win. Um, I, I don't know if they're necessarily back because, again, like you're waiting to see the explosiveness uh, on a consistent level. And I think the Cowboys did a really good job mitigating that. And the advantage going into this one, I know that you said uh, Vic Fangio has had some success against uh, the the Chiefs' offenses in the past. But that being said, I mean, th- there's been, like you said, historically Vic Fangio's had a pretty decent time against Patrick Mahomes. Doesn't hasn't translated any wins. Uh, the, the Broncos haven't won this matchup um, in over six years. So, I mean, we'll see. Um, my point, the the big point for me though, like going into this, is like whether or not the Chiefs can lean a little bit more into their run game. Ironically enough, and I, I know that you know Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes, and we're still waiting again for the passing game to get back to form. But when you look at the running numbers and what the the Broncos really struggle with is defending the run. Like this is a really good tweet from Nick Kendall. Like the average opponent offensive rush DVOA for Denver in wins has been minus 8.3% and losses have been minus 1.8%. And the opponent pass defense and wins have been 25%, losses 7%. When you look at where the Broncos basically, or excuse me, the Chiefs basically rank it's sixth in rush offense DVOA and defensive pass DVOA, they're 21st. So this is a really bad matchup for the Broncos, particularly between the the trenches. And so obviously you get Clyde Edwards, you layer back, um, I know Jarek McKinnon went down last week. I think he landed on IR. Um, and I know that, you know, when you watch Denver's defense, again, Fangio being the mastermind that he is, a great schemer, but also they're really buzzy. Uh, I don't know how else to explain that. They're really active. They do a really good job of, of flowing to the football, and they seem to be everywhere. Um, but, I, I mean, when you look at what the Chiefs' offensive line has been able to do, like Creed Humphrey has been really good this year. Uh, from within the interior, I think that they really do do a good job of winning at the line of scrimmage. Um, I know that we're you know we're going to be fascinated to see how Patrick Mahomes performs in this one, but I'm really curious to see like what kind of you know packages in, within the run game that Andy Reid and Co. bring out. You know, especially coming off of a bye week. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the Chiefs' running game. Firstly, Jarek McKinnon, an example of where a vet going to a single digit was cool. Every time I saw Jerick McKinnon wearing one, I was like, yo, who's that? Like, he looks great. He looks cool. He looks fit. And I was like, oh, it's Jerick McKinnon. Like, what? I don't know. I didn't I forgot Jerick McKinnon was on the Chiefs. Anyway, so Jerick McKinnon's single digit looks great. Um, the Chiefs and the Bills. We just talked about the Bills. Needs to run the football more and, and take teams out of these two high shells. And I was talking about what they're trying to do. And, Steven, you brought up the good point, which is uh, it doesn't really fit their passing in, though. There's an, a, a, a discontinuity there, right? There's a break. The Chiefs, in my opinion, have been doing a better job in that regard, in trying to marry their running game and their passing game. They're doing that with uh, more power-style concepts, right? And, and concepts that you're stealing from the college level, where you have these teams like Oklahoma, right, who's trying to find a way to run the ball out of, like, four open formations, four wide receivers, no tight ends. And from the gun. From the gun as well. That's where a guy like Creed Humphrey, he played at Oklahoma, is valuable. A guy like Orlando Brown is valuable a guy like trey smith is valuable because these are people movers and if you get them rolling on poles into space they're gonna erase dudes off the 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 face of the earth the one big thing that i always see is to what degree the chiefs messed up with drafting clyde edwards alaire because after him went dobbins and after him went uh deandre swift and after him very critically went jonathan taylor so i'm curious just uh, for us here looking at this right now how much better would the Chiefs offense be if they had Jonathan Taylor back there? Is this a situation where 
Taylor doesn't fit the way they're trying to run the ball and Edwards Alaire was a better pass catcher coming out. And so it kind of makes sense from a fit perspective or very simply like, are we looking at this Edwards Alaire pick as okay, he can still be a fine player, but that's a huge miss for Kansas City right now because their offensive problems are in large part because they need a better running threat. I was going to say like, just from a fit perspective, because you're able to flank out Alaire or Edwards Alaire, I think that's where they were looking like you can get a guy who, you know, you can go empty five wide with him split like the contributions you can make in the passing game. I know Dobbins can do that as well, basically. At least he can be a decent receiver out of the backfield. And same with Swift. But I, I think the collegiate profile definitely favored Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that respect. I think it's kind of interesting about how we talk about this pick. And if you're an analytics person, you're, you hate it. You hate the fact that they use the pick on a running back. But the actual pick itself, like picking which running back they were going to take, I feel like was influenced by analytics because you wanted a pass-catching back. And you wanted a guy that fit into what they do. They'd run a lot of five-man five, uh, five man protection, so everyone's out in the route. You want the running back out in the route and catching passes. The problem with that is they drafted a guy that added to what they were doing rather than adding a guy who gave them something different. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jonathan Taylor would have been. And that's why I don't think the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire pick has worked out the way that they have. There's no running game. They're the same team with him on the field as they were before he was drafted. I think bringing in a Jonathan Taylor would have given them a plan B that they don't have right now. And continuing this kind of Chiefs-Bills comparison, it reminds me of the problem that we've talked about with Buffalo where – Buffalo also added dudes to just get better at what they were already doing, right? Like Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, let's bring in Emmanuel Sanders. Well, Sanders is the same skill set. He's a good receiver, right? And he helps. Like, he's a good player. There's nothing wrong with Sanders, veteran player, you know, limited snaps, whatever. But, you don't like, when you go to throw your contested ball, you're not throwing it to any of those three. You kind of throwing it to Diggs because he's good at everything. But in general, like, you've got shallow and intermediate route runners you got separators and you got them everywhere and all of a sudden when it's just zone defenders all over the place you're like ah, oh, i wish we had a big guy <laughs> you know you kind of like you um it's daniel jeremiah always says like build the receiving core like a basketball team you want different bodies in different roles but in general like offensively i think that right in this this kind of this issue with the clyde edwards alaire pick and with the chiefs trying to find their running game is you have to kind of build a little bit expecting to lose your strength a little bit expecting the teams to, to do everything to take away your strength and you want to start developing that second punch you want to start developing that counter before defenses really catch up to you which i wasn't saying this two years ago it's much easier to say in hindsight you know you just thought Mahomes was going to dominate forever but that's probably like the lesson here in responsible team building which not to go too far away from chiefs broncos i promise we'll get back but that's where i look at like green bay and obviously, like, you know, the Jordan Love pick aside, like, they have a lot of different bodies. They went and added A.J. Dillon to go with Aaron Jones. Like, they're just extremely varied on offense. And that's, I think, is to their strength because they've survived so many injuries at this point. And going back to the matchup, I, I agree with uh, Kaylin. I just think it's a bad matchup for the Broncos' defense. I realize that Fangio has the, the tools in his toolbox, his coverage toolbox, to slow down the passing game. And I don't think this is going to be the week where the – where Mahomes and Hill break out and have this explosive passing game, but I think they're going to be able to run the ball, not like in a way that the Colts did against uh, the Bills, but in a way that's good enough and that opens things up just enough in the passing game to win this. And you go back to that Eagles game, I know it's a totally different run game, but it's kind of like the same constraints you have because you're playing with numbers in the box, and the, the Chiefs have that in their RPO game. And I think they can really manipulate numbers in the box and just make it so much easier to run the ball against this team. And if the Chiefs can run the ball... You're not going to beat them, especially with the way the defense is playing right now. Kalen, in your impression, one, 
is Vic Fangio coaching for his job here? And two, does a win here keep his job if so? Because I think that conversation has been around Vic for a while, but he yeah. was billed when he came in as as the defensive guru, right? And and kind of the offshoots of his coaching tree are proliferating across the league. Uh, if he can prove that he can do it against Mahomes, then it's kind of like there's a strong argument that he's worth keeping, even for the problems they might have on offense. So is he coaching for his job, and does a win here secure that position into 2022? Man, that's a good question because I think a few weeks ago, you know, when they were in the middle of their free fall for a sec, it would have been probably a yes going into this matchup. I wouldn't say just yet. Only because, you know, they're they're not out of it. Just the state of the AFC playoff race. I don't think that this is necessarily the game where we're like, okay, well, Fangio, the Fangio era is over. Um, I, I think even from a team-building perspective, like I know, again, we're trying to focus on the matchup. I mean, team-building perspective, when you look at the Broncos, them moving on from Von Miller, them losing or bringing in Kenny Young. I know they lost a linebacker too um, earlier in the season. They have some really exciting pieces in in terms of youth in the secondary. I think, you know, th- there's a chance to really continue building on that side of the football. I know the offense is still what it is. They haven't really figured it out there. Um, and there's some duplicates even when you look at the personnel over there as well. Um, but I, I don't think the Fangio is necessarily coaching for his job here. I, I think the AFC, just the state of it overall, is going to keep him, you know, and the Broncos – within contention, you know, at least for the next few weeks. Yeah, and he just showed. I, he can beat the Chargers. He can hold the Chargers to 13 right, points. Right, right. Like, you know, like it's – they he's they're pitching right now. Like you said, like, they're a buzzy defense. There's a – it's really awesome watching, like, a very zone-heavy defense. Get it. Because it goes from 0 to 100 in an instant, right? right like, the right. moment the, the continuity gets there, the communication gets there, the vision, the preparation, they start dialing in on what opposing teams are doing. It's not like, oh, the Broncos' defense is getting better. It's like, holy smokes, Broncos are here now. Like, that was the Cowboys game. And they've had a couple of those games now. Lost to the Eagles in that, that quarterback running game. But against the Cowboys and the Chargers, two of the better passing offenses in the league. I mean, they were lights out. So, I think the Chiefs win. And I hear the bad matchup concerns. I think it's close because I think this game can stay really, really low scoring. The total is at like 47. I have the under on that. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if we get like 17, 13, you know, 20 to 16 slop sort of stuff. But I think that Denver right now is in a position defensively where they can pretty much take the wind out of anybody's sails. And it's going to be really fun with the Chiefs out of the bye as well. And Andy Reid saying what tendency breakers he has to try to take advantage of that zone coverage. This is a really, really good coaching matchup. And in that instance, I think it's going to be super low scoring. So I'll still give it to the Chiefs, but I wouldn't be surprised if Broncos cover, and I think it's going to be a close one. I'll go last this time. Yeah, yeah. Protect Kalen. <laughs> I was I was nervously looking at that. I was like, ah, oh, damn, I'm going to go last again. Um, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. And I know, Ben, we're going to go either 2-0 and or 0-2 this week. Sorry, bud. Yep. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I didn't even bring this up. Like, the Kansas City, the defensive line, Again, I know they lost Kalen Saunders, pretty big rotational guy, but with Chris Jones back, they've been you know able to activate that dominance. Melvin Ingram too, yeah. Yeah, Melvin Ingram's been playing at a great level too. So it's like if they can affect Teddy Bridgewater enough that the Broncos' offense, I mean, I I don't see how the Chiefs don't win this game. Yeah, I'm gonna pick the Chiefs. I agree with Ben that it's gonna be low scoring, but I think I don't think it's gonna be close. I think they're gonna be in full control the whole game, like similar to the Chiefs. Uh, Dallas game a couple weeks ago I think that's the type of game we're gonna see I would not feel comfortable betting on this game with such a big line though <laughs> either way like not even for the Broncos earlier in the week I was more confident the Chiefs won it by a lot and then I started doing the prep for this game and I was like "Ooh, like I think this might be closer than I realized and that's why 
I probably won't actually touch the spread because I'm kind of both places on it. But that's fun. It's fun in week 13 to have two games of the week be like, yeah, I'll let you know what happens afterward. You know what I mean? Like it's that uh, the the parody of the league is weird this year, but it does lead to, to games where you're like, all right, the Broncos can hang with the Chiefs, and that's kind of fun. And it has like huge impact on the AFC playoff picture. But we're done with those two games. Those are our games of the week, and we're excited for them. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are on to games which need games. Our second segment, which we take other interesting games, talk about them a little quicker, a little bit more specific narratives. Uh, in this case, we have six. I would like to open, as always, uh, with Steven canceling a team. Uh, Steven's on a hot streak canceling teams. It only took him like two months to figure it out, but now he actually cancels teams that lose. Uh, so congratulations to Steven for figuring out the bad teams. Only took him as long as literally every other NFL analyst because it was very difficult to do this year. Who would you like to cancel this week? I'm canceling the Falcons. It's not just because they're bad and I know they're going to lose this week. And uh, if they don't lose, I'm just cursed. But they've become painful to watch. They're boring to watch. I don't want, I'm not interested in this team. Like a couple months ago, I was very excited for this offense and what it was going to be in watching Kyle Pitts. And this is, this is not, I'm not blaming Arthur Smith entirely. It's just a sad organization right now. And it goes back to the decision to re up with Matt Ryan in the off season, which made no sense at the time. I understand that there were cap implications that they saved money in the short term, just a terrible decision. And I know Kyle Pitts is great, and I think he's one of the best tight ends in the league already and one of the biggest threats, receiving threats in the league already. But they should have drafted a quarterback. And this game is just going to be another reminder that they messed up in the offseason. So I'm canceling them, and I don't want to think about them for the rest of the season. 2022, I'll be back. The uh, Falcons are playing the Bucks, by the way. That's why we're confident that they lose. Uh, I get why they ran it back with Ryan. Obviously, finagling the contract kind of sucked i get why they ran it back with him though because i think right like he's generally been okay like he's not the biggest problem but okay okay let me let me rephrase that okay extending him or re-upping with him and then trading julio jones made no sense to me let me say yes that. that those were right. yes those two decisions in conjunction where it's like we, we want to see what our veterans still have also by julio that's weird um but absolutely yes you draft a quarterback every team that did not draft a quarterback in 2021 that could have that needs one in 2022 and this class was so easy to see coming down the mountain, man. Like it was, it was the twenty twenty one class was very clearly extremely good, and the twenty twenty two class was very clearly not. It's just it's very for Detroit, for Atlanta, for Philadelphia, for even I would say the New York Giants deserve to be in there as well. It's just brother, what were you doing? Like what were you looking at? Uh, Atlanta, I think, is one of the more easily permissible ones, just because they're going to be in cap hell for so long that it's kind of like, all right, whatever, this is going to take a while. But still, 
It would really be nice if they had a young quarterback. And like, they, they had a good quarterback, unlike the other teams. It'd be so good for Trey Lance right now to be sitting behind Matt Ryan. That'd be such to his benefit. And unfortunately, he is not. We're on to, let's do 49ers Seahawks. Uh, because speaking of Trey Lance, the 49ers have been extremely good recently. Jimmy Garoppolo is leading the league in EPA per play. Uh, he's leading the league in passing yards per attempt since it came back from the bye. 49ers are on, I want to say, a three-game heater, might be four. Uh, they are right now the fifth most likely team in the NFC to make the playoffs, which is wild to save a team that a month ago we were like, hey, don't fire Kyle Shanahan yet. It's going to be fine. Like That was the conversation around this team. They get the Seattle Seahawks, who are... I mean, nowhere doesn't even begin to describe what's going on. They're just lost in the sauce right now in Seattle. It is a complete and total mess. But I do want to say that for San Francisco, who should win this game, uh, if if they do win this game, have a more than 80% chance to make the playoffs, according to ESPN. The most important player to this team over the last few weeks has been Debo Samuel. And he is out one to two weeks with a groin injury. And Debo has dealt with soft tissue injuries, specifically groin injuries, before. So our thoughts and prayers, legitimately, not even a joke this time. This is real. <laughs> Go out to Debo Samuel because this offense has been so cool with him as quasi running back. And it's been very impressive to see how well Shanahan has turned around this offense after the questions around how this team worked. But man, Debo was really, really important to them. And they have to survive just for a couple weeks without him. And I think that they can. But it is scary. So, Debo, please get better soon. He's one of the most fun players in the league, and he's really, really important to a suddenly resurgent San Francisco offense. I got an idea. Oh, no. And it's a little out of left field. Keep doing the Debo stuff with him out, but do it with George Kittle. (laughs) Put George Kittle in the backfield and give him handoffs. I know that George Kittle's blocking is key to how this works, but I don't care. I just want to see him get handoffs as a running back. Legitimately, completely honestly at this point. It's more likely than not that George Kittle gets a handoff against the Seahawks, right? Like that's that is that is a that is a greater than fifty percent chance. That's where they are on offense. Uh, Derek Klassen of, of Football Outsiders wrote a really 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 good piece on how the Niners can't throw outside the numbers. Right, like all Jimmy does is throw between the numbers. So the way they get outside the numbers is with outside runs, and primarily they've done it with Elijah Mitchell, their actual running back. But they've also done it with with Debo. Like he's the solution. He's, they're getting explosive plays outside of the hashes by handing the ball off to a receiver 10 yards down the field. That's insane. But that's what they're doing. Uh, Losing that sucks. Kittle, like a a little throwback screen to Kittle, eight yards behind line of scrimmage. Like that's probably happening because that's how they have to stretch defenses out horizontally right now. Screw that. Get under center and run outside zone with him. Give him an outside zone. (laughs) Real quick, real quick. Like that's the thing though. Like Debo is, I, I know that we're praising Shanahan deservedly again. They lost four straight, won four out of five now. Like, the problem is, though, it's kind of like putting duct tape over, you know, leaking hole. Like, that, that's it. Like, the problem is still there. And so I'm curious to see, like, moving forward how Shanahan goes about and fixes it because the problem is still there. Like you said, they're not able to throw outside the numbers because of who Jimmy is. Like, he's, had, he's been great over the last few weeks, but they can't throw outside the numbers. Yeah, we were talking about this uh, on, on, a, on a meeting, but it's very funny that, like, Shanahan had this problem, which was that like his personnel decisions were really hurting the team, and the team was playing badly. And then Jimmy got healthy, back from the bye. They got Kittle back. Mitchell came back, right? Debo's out there. Ayuk's out of the doghouse. And all of a sudden, the offense is doing great. And you're like, aha, problem solved. Well, now if the team's good with Jimmy at quarterback, and you have this number three overall pick, Trey Lance burning a hole in your pocket, new problem. 
what do we do at this position? How do we know if Lance is ready or not? Do we trade Jimmy? Because obviously they've talked about the fact that they're going to do that. There was the report that came out like a week and a half ago that was like, the plan is play Jimmy for the rest of 2021 and then start Lance in 2022. They don't know that yet, man. Nobody knows that yet. Like they're, they are really between a rock and a hard place in terms of nicely and deftly handling the timing of this quarterback transition. I think I, but I think it, that depends on how you look at it. Like I think Jimmy playing well might end up being a good thing because you get to fool some dumb team because you know some dumb team out there is going to trade for him, thinking they're going to get this Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe we'll be maybe the Jets trade for him. I don't know. Maybe if they they have Lafleur there, it makes sense. But you get maybe you get one of the one or two of those draft picks that you traded for Trey Lance because Jimmy's playing well right now. So maybe it works out. But I agree with you. Like. I agree with both of you guys. Like this win streak, I don't think anyone was questioning Kyle Shanahan's ability to design a game plan and call cool plays. It was all the other questions, and he hasn't disproven any of that during this win streak. We knew he could win games. He went to a Super Bowl. And not for nothing, but the other side of that coin when they went to the Super Bowl was when Robert Saylor was pitching gas. First year defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, Eagles great, go birds. Uh, doing a nice job settling in down, down the stretch. That defense is playing better. Okay. Bagel, uh, coffee and a bagel sandwich on the line. Dealer's choice, sausage, egg, whatever you want. Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback 2022 for the blank. Steven, which team? Can I do two? Because I feel Absolute, like this is a that's tough question. legitimately not. This is the whole point is calling your shot. So saying two teams is not as cheating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it anyway. Uh, Texans, Browns. Okay, that... You're just your default out of the the, com- the conversation now. So you say Texans. I'll, I'll give you two bagel sandwiches. I'll buy you two. <laughs> okay. Steven has Texans, Browns, however that works. My guess is Washington football team. Browns. Browns was the other one that I was thinking. Yeah, Browns. I, I didn't want to say this out loud and speak it into existence, but it's going to be the Panthers. Panthers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I was like, damn, that was my other team. See, now I want to do the two teams. <laughs> you know what else I could see that is extremely cursed, but – Actually, like 2% chance possible is the Green Bay Packers. Wow. If Rodgers is gone and they're not positive, loves it yet. LaFleur knows how to run the offense for Jimmy. He knows how to run the system. The one I thought you were going with. Let's just say Tom Brady retires Stop. and you replace Tom Brady with Jimmy Garoppolo in Tampa Bay. Yeah, remember how Tom was able to transition to the Arians vertical offense? Love to see Jimmy give that a shot. We'll see how that one goes. All right. Um, we made it through like a five-minute uh, 49ers Seahawks game without talking once about the Seahawks. God be with the Seahawks. I'm sure we'll get to them at some point this season. Uh, Kalen, I want timeline therapy for this game, which I'm actually extremely excited for. This very easily could have been a game of the week in large part because I also don't know what's going to happen in this one. That is Ravens at Steelers. What are you looking at? Uh, timeline therapy. We need like a little woosah or some type of yoga <laughs> yoga <laughs> music playing in the background. In the background yeah. <laughs> you need a mantra. <laughs> uh, this is from Pro Football Talk. He said, for the, fo- for the first time ever, the Ravens are favored to win against Pittsburgh um, w- against Ben Roethlisberger. The Ravens, according to FanDuel, are favored by three and a half points. Um, odd because last week was a banner moment for the Lamar Jackson has been figured out slash uh, Lamar Jackson can't throw crowd. Um, this is from around the NFL. Lamar Jackson said he looked or quote looked like a rookie end quote after throwing four interceptions in Baltimore's win against Cleveland. So, ladies and gentlemen, looks like Lamar Jackson has been figured out by Lamar Jackson. It seems like every time he has one of those bad games or throw, even throws interceptions, it's I, I know you gotta give credit to defensive coordinators for fooling him to some extent, but also it seems like the only real way that Lamar Jackson gets stopped is by himself. He really beats himself at times. 
But, I mean, and that's really the discussion I wanted to have. Like, what do you guys see that Lamar Jackson needs to improve on from a passing perspective? Is it really that defensive coordinators are beating him, or is it that he's kind of fooling himself at times and needs to be a little more consistent? I have, like, two things I believe very strongly about Lamar Jackson. Number one, he is a NFL, like, caliber thrower very clearly. Like, that needs to be stated from the jump. I think there's a lot of people right now who'd be like, if you took Lamar's running ability away, he wouldn't hang at the NFL level. It is incorrect. The offenses they run would have to change stylistically, play style, like everything would be different. So I can't tell you like how it would work, but he is very clearly just amazing arm, accurate enough, great reader of the field, such to be able to be an NFL passer if he couldn't run the football, period. That's number one. Number two is that reality was not true of Lamar the passer, like his freshman year at Louisville, and the fact that he has gotten better as a thrower in like the last five consecutive seasons at the college and NFL level, I am doing the hand motion, is nuts. Like that, we don't see that. And that probably has a lot to do with the fact that he didn't get as many reps throwing the football in high school because of what he was as an athlete, right? And, you know, a high school quarterback or a high school head coach is not going to be like, let's make sure Lamar throws it. Make him run it all the time, win football games. So there's, there's that to it. But he's gotten so much better as a passer over time that that reality wasn't always true. By the time he came out, came out of Louisville, it was, and we've seen him get better and better over the course of the last couple of years in the league. But the, the reality of Lamar as a thrower is he is more vibes-oriented than he should be and than an NFL quarterback should be. Like, the sidearm release is sick. It is necessary 40 to 60% of the time. And the other 40% of the time, you're like, just deliver it over the top. Like, just do it over the top release, and it's more likely to be accurate. Like, that's why that release is used is because it's, you know, at least in, in terms of, like, the, the teachings of quarterback mechanics, that release is going to be more accurate over time. And you don't want to change a guy's mechanics willy-nilly, but, like, like a couple of those, those receptions, like, Lamar thinks Mark Andrews is going to, like, not sight adjust a route and he does and Lamar just kind of zips it in there and, and then like he, like does the thing where he puts his two hands on his helmet and he's like oh and it's like yeah Lamar you gotta like chill you know what I mean like like uh, at times he's just way too like vibes you know it's like this is where it'll go Zip. and it, they, those, those are NFL athletes over there Lamar like you gotta check your work you gotta like do you know go yeah. go through the check marks a little bit that casualness is the product of how amazing of an athlete he is he has always been able to do everything like that on the football field he can just sit in the pocket and let Max Crosby get within three inches of him. And then he's smoke and he's gone. And, and, and so when he has his like fumbles and when he has his interceptions, it's usually because he's so used to being so paramount. He's so accustomed to being head and shoulders above everybody else that he's still, I think, learning how to be like mature and like check his work and like diligent in that way. I don't know if we ever get there because this is just kind of like play style and play style is something right, that sticks. But yeah. that's something that with hopefully more reps throwing the football at the NFL level, he erases. It's worth noting he had a four interception game and we're talking about it because he doesn't usually have those, right? So it is a little bit of like an aberration in that way. It reminds me of like a flashy playmaking point guard in basketball. Like Steve Nash led the league in turnovers like every year. And it's because he tried these crazy passes. When they worked, it was like, holy shit, that was the coolest highlight I ever seen. When it doesn't work, like when you try to when you try to throw a pass between a defender's legs and they're ready for it and they catch it, it looks like the worst pass you've ever seen. And that's what happens with Lavar with these intermediate passes that go right to linebackers. He's trying cool <laughs> shit. Yep. Most of the times it works out, and some when it doesn't, it just looks really ugly. Really, really good comparison. I like that a lot. That was a great comparison. Yeah. But and that that right, that's the thing I think is that like it is never good to have a four interception game 
But when a quarterback who doesn't usually have four interception games has a four interception game, we shouldn't like the instinct with Lamar, like you're talking about Kale, just be like, oh, it's because he's a bad passer. Whereas for any other quarterback, it'd be like, why? But with Lamar, we should like that that discussion immediately just leapfrogs that and goes like, well, it's because he's a running back. Brother, this is like thirtieth <laughs> career start. He's never done this before. Like, what are we doing? Steelers, by the way, not the best defense to face after we all go on a big defense of Lamar's throwing ability and ability to avoid interceptions and then just immediately get <laughs> gets Pittsburgh. Um, but potentially, you know, TJ Watt, which, you know, helps. Cause the, the, Minka. Yeah, Minka as well. The Ravens' pass blocking is horrible. We also said that about Herbert before the Steelers game, and then he went off on him. So maybe we're, we're good. Yeah, and there was no Watt and I think no Minka in that game. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, So, okay, great. Steelers' defense doesn't actually exist without Watt and Minka. That's the main takeaway. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go on my Lamar is the rifle MVP rant sometime later in the season when we get closer to awards. For now, uh, let's go, Steven. Uh, the must-win game, staying in the AFC West. This is Chargers at Bengals. Uh, for the playoff leverage conversation, no team in the league has a higher playoff leverage than the Chargers at 35% chance, uh, uh, improved chance to make the playoffs if they beat the Bengals. Second is the Bengals, 33% chance improved uh, if they beat the Chargers to make the playoffs. So this is the like playoff game of the week, and accordingly, it is your must-win. I'm kind of surprised by that because I, I wrote a column on Monday morning where I was looking at the, the playoff races, and I did the ESPN playoff machine, and I counted this as a loss for the Bengals and I gave, or for the Chargers, and I counted them with another loss, and they still very easily made the playoffs. So I think they can afford to lose this game still make because their schedule is very easy. So looking at playoff leverage, uh, the and there's just like 25, 50, 75%. So I don't have the exact numbers. I'd make the Chargers at like 38% and the Bengals at like 42% with losses to make the playoffs. Those are the numbers that, that ESPN shows. Okay, yeah. And I, I think this is more of a must-win game for Cincinnati. Not only because it's at home, but because their schedule is a little more tougher. They get uh, San Francisco the next week, which is a tough game based on how they're playing. They play the Chiefs still. They play the Ravens still. They go to the Browns, a Browns team that killed them a couple weeks ago. I think the Bengals really need to win this game. I think the Chargers could survive without it. On paper, it makes sense like that the Bengals are the favorite favorites because of how bad the Chargers run defense is, and they have Joe Mixon, and Joe Mixon might run for 150, uh, 150 yards. My concern is how they mix the two things together, like Joe Burrow, how he wins in the passing game, and how you have to run against this Chargers team. Like, how do you find cohesion? It's the same conversation with the the Bills passing and run game. And I don't know if they're going to be able to find that right balance. I don't have a lot of faith in Zach Taylor. I think the Bengals still win it, but I don't think it's the performance for the offense that we're expecting. Since they came out of the bye, the Bengals have played two games and have handed the ball up to Joe Mixon. I'm looking at the stats here 400 times. Uh, <laughs> they have been extremely run heavy out of the bye. Some of that's that's game script, but even in neutral situations, they've been one of the most run heavy teams in the league. They're like you said, bringing up that under center running game, which like, okay, when they're in pass, they're like shotgun, empty spread. And then when they run, they go under center and they're working that under center play action game. I think a little bit and like trying to kind of tie those things together. But in general, like, Bengals offensive line is not a unit I trust, but this under center running game has worked for them pretty well. And now they get a chargers team that is really bad against the run and is still sustaining defensive tackle and interior defensive line linebacker unavailabilities, Christian Covington, Limbo, Joseph, what have you. I'm I, the like, like the Joe Mixon Bengals running game might be like the thing in November, December, like seals the, the playoff push for the Bengals, which is crazy yeah. because even when the Bengals were surprising us, 
early in the season, it was like, wow, this passing game down the field. Wow, this defense. And passing game down the field is still there. Like, Jamar Chase's numbers are down, but generally, like, T. Higgins is waking back up, and they're still throwing it well. Defense is still there. Been an impressive unit. If the running game is here as well, like, this is a complete team. It may not be, like, a talented enough team to make an AFC run or whatever, but this is going to be, like, a complete team with three phases. Like, wow, that is not something I would have called for Cincinnati coming into the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if they run the ball over the Chargers here. I don't know how to put this, but this is why I wasn't so high on Burrow. I still thought Burrow was the best player in the draft when he came out and the best quarterback by far. But the margin for error with him, like they couldn't play when they tried to just put everything on him in the offense. It didn't work. And now that they have this other way of playing, it's they're scoring more points and they're not doing it with the passing game. And it's because the margin for error with these quarterbacks, these these guys that aren't as physically talented as the better, better quarterbacks in the league is just so small. Like Joe Burrow leads the league in EPA lost on sacks and interceptions. His sacks and interceptions are so bad because he takes bad sacks and he's, he's had bad luck with the interceptions, but it's the sacks thing that really hurts him. It's the same for Mac Jones. He's third in the league on EPA loss on sacks and interceptions. Like, it's not Josh Allen who does these dumb turnovers. It's not Jameis Winston. It's these types of quarterbacks. And this is why I don't believe in them as, like, blue-chip prospects because of those bad plays. The negative plays are so bad. And, it do, and like, the dink and dunk your way down the field doesn't make up for it. And I think that's why... Like, the total in this game is 50. I don't think it's going to be that type of game. I, I would hammer the under in this game, to be honest, because I think it's going to be a short game, and I think the Bengals realize how they have to win it, and it's not putting the ball in Joe Burrow's hands. I remember I was watching that Broncos-Chargers game, and they had six total drives in the first half because both the Broncos and the Chargers just take so long with the football, right? They're just mm-hmm. methodical and everything like that. And I think, right, with the Bengals running the football, they can be that way. I um, I don't know. I, if you took all of the not elite armed quarterbacks in the league right now, old or young, you know, you take your Matt Ryans and your your Joe Burrows and your Mac Joneses and your Tua Tagovailoa's. Who else do you want? Your your Taylor Heineke's. I don't know. And you put them onto a bucket and said, pick one, win a game. I'd take Joe Burrow. Like I understand the EPA sacks and interceptions thing. Oh yeah, I'd definitely take him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in, it, like those those bad plays are bad. But if they can stay ahead of six with the running game, you kind of get yourself out of those situations a little bit. And he's just he's just really really good at the things he's really good at. You know what I mean? He's a he's a very interesting one. See, this is my thing with Burrow. I thought he had the potential to be a top ten quarterback. I when I was writing about him before the draft, I just didn't see the blue chip prospect that everyone saw. I didn't see the generational quarterback. And he's been exactly what we think he was thought he was going to be. Like that's the type of quarterback he is. I don't think he's he's not Mahomes. He's not Rodgers. And I know it sound it's like oh that's such a high bar. That's so unfair. Those were the comparisons he was getting before the draft. People were calling him Mahomes and Rodgers. Yes. No, he's not those guys. He's Chad Pennington in Romo. He's not those guys. He's Chad Pennington, which is perfectly fine. Right. You just better have a lot of talent around him. Okay. Well, uh, I think the Bengals are going to beat our Chargers, uh, and I think we're going to get to yell about Joe Lombardi some more, and I think that's going to be fun. I was going to say, I'm surprised Steven didn't bring up J- J- Herbert like at all during that segment. <laughs> I don't need to bring him up. I know what he is. <laughs> the thing is, and I, I don't know if uh, Steven's emotionally ready for this, but the uh, the Herbert versus Burrow takes are going to fly because they're the no, same they draft are. class. That always happens. Yeah. They're going to fly depending on who wins this game, and I think the Bengals are going to win this game. <laughs> I keep seeing people saying, oh, this is a great young quarterback matchup, and I agree it is two great young quarterbacks, but please do not compare these two guys. 
don't compare them. Oh, my God. Use your eyes. Like, what are you watching? Losers to the Bengals a couple weeks ago. Uh, fallers from grace in the AFC playoff picture. The Las Vegas Raiders hosting the Washington football team. Washington, three-game winning streak coming into this one with a potential fourth here against Washington. Uh, suddenly, right now, the seventh seed in the NFC. And we'll see if that holds up. But the freaking Washington football team is going to make the playoffs again. Really funny stuff. Here's the funny part. Let me interrupt you real quick. They they were in the seventh seed before they beat uh before they won on Monday night. They were already in it. That's how bad the NFC is. It's very top heavy. The NFC. At least it, listen. I prefer the top heaviness of the NFC to trying to figure out whatever the heck the AFC player yeah, picture AFC, is. Yep. Me too. Uh, me too. Washington football team. Uh, I wrote about Taylor Heineke uh, for Friday, which is uh, you know he's played quite well over the last few weeks. And what I really walked away from uh, Heineke's game was thinking. No, not like the guy where you, you know, you're like, we found him, the franchise quarterback. Yee-hee. Like it's it's done. But absolutely you're at the point now where you've seen enough starts from him to say we know how to we we can build an offense around him and win games. I'm not sure that Washington's doing that, which I'm gonna touch on a little bit of a sec, but my buying or selling is that Heineke is the quarterback for twenty twenty two for Washington. He's going to start for them, uh, and, and that's going to be the appropriate decision relative to their time frame in building a contender, Heineke, into 2022. Has he shown you enough that you're fine with that, or are you still expecting them to make a move, Kalen? I was thinking about it in my head because the the 22 draft, I've seen, I remember early in the year, people seeing Kenny Pickett mock there. I think he'll probably end up going too high. I don't know where Washington's in the seventh seed right now. They probably won't be low enough to, or low enough in the draft to get him. Um, I don't know if there's a 22 passer that you even want to like when, when you're talking about the win nowness of the current window and i mean again it, it'd be the whole is jimmy garoppolo gonna end up watching now like that that's where my brain is kind of led i think you kind of have to stick with them at this point right a- unless you think you know you can find an upgrade like an aaron Rodgers type in the offseason russell wilson i don't think they're going to be able to get either one of them but if they were that's the only real clear upgrade that you would be able to get at the quarterback position. So I think they're kind of stuck with him going into 2022. I agree with everything Ben said. I would not be excited about going into week one with him as your starter. Him as your backup and maybe a backup that takes over right. in week five, a la Ryan Fitzpatrick. Very good. Like, it's ironic that he replaced Ryan Fitzpatrick. Cause Very much so. I think he has the skill set to be that where – if he's playing in a given week, you're not too worried about it. But if he's starting in week one, there's a big reason to be worried because he's going to have bad games. He's going to have terrible games. He's going to mix it in with these good games. Like he's he's one of these these quarterbacks who's obviously not an upper echelon talent, but he doesn't get by with like tr- schematic tricks. He gets by because he makes these crazy, but like he scrambles around like against the Panthers on every third down. He's like scrambling around and creating plays out of nowhere. It's just that you can't rely on that consistently. I think that's the problem with him as like a viable long-term solution. And uh, here's my prediction, my bold prediction that I don't really expect to come true. But Russell Wilson, come back to Virginia. This is where you're from. Oh, where? Come play. Yeah, like this. That would be a homecoming for Russell Wilson. I did not know that was a homecoming for Russ. Um, I very much appreciate the Fitzpatrick reference from Steven and the Jimmy reference from Caitlin because when I watch Heineke, I think if you put him in the Shanahan offense, he could give you Jimmy caliber play and the Jimmy caliber play in the Shanahan offense is not bad, but, and this is in the piece. If you look at throws, which we might call like the Jimmy throws about 10 yards down the field between the numbers, Heineke's third right now in points added per play. 
It's buying Colt McCoy and uh, Kyler Murray. Both the Cardinals, McCoy. right? Jimmy And Jimmy's fourth. Listen, he he is so similar to Jimmy in that he is just blackout confident in his ability to throw the football. And he does not deserve that confidence. That is, un- He has far too much dip on his chip. But... Man, it makes for some really impressive throws over the middle of the field. The problem is Washington wants to throw outbreakers. They want to throw 15-yard outcuts. They want to throw corners. Heineke is not the arm for that, and he tries to throw with anticipation. He makes some nice touch throws, but that's just not his game. If you just if you were able to just run a play-action crazy offense for him, just run the Jimmy offense, he's got enough zip and enough just unmerited and unwarranted faith in himself that he could get this thing done very much so in like a Jimmy or a Fitzpatrick way, which is so confident that he's going to make some really good plays for you. Honestly, like a Norv Turner style offense, an Eric Coriel style offense is the worst possible fit for Heineke. Yes. They, and they, they're, they're doing stuff to help him. They're running sprint outs. You know what I mean? To shorten that throw, whatever, like they're, they're cheesing it a little bit, but I don't think you move on from Scott Turner. And that's the tricky thing. I think Scott Turner is a good OC. It's just, what he wants to do and what Heineke is capable of doing are two very, very different things. But man, at least there's some funny plays. He's just a fun watch is what he is. And like, that's not a reason to invest in a guy, but I've, I had a good time uh, watching him on film. Our final uh, game, which needs a game is the Colts at Texans. This one belongs to you, Kalen. What are we looking for? Guess what? I have a surprise cancel. Um, Uh-oh. We're, oh, I we're love canceling it. Carson Wentz in the fourth quarter. Or in oh, second okay. half, or whatever like, he stretch. Well. What, like, he he did play well. Whatever, whatever stretch we want to do, like if it's in the clutch moments, we're canceling Carson Wentz, or at least third quarter Carson Wentz from last week. And it's because, really, it's been accumulation like over over the season. Like when you look at the Colts' record against the Titans uh, earlier in the year, that that flippant interception that he had, lost in that game. Um, the Ravens game on Monday night, lost in that game. The game against the Niners, I know they ended up winning that game, but again, just kind of brain farting in clutch moments against the Buccaneers last week. Um, with the lead, they were up by 10. Indianapolis decided to turn the ball over to Carson Wentz. He played well in the first half, but in the second half, it just seemed to fall apart. Couldn't really get the offense going. And by the time the fourth quarter started and the Colts decided to go back to running the football, they were in the eight ball, or in the eight hole. Like it, it was over for them against uh the Buccaneers this is the thing like when you look at the Colts going into this matchup against the Texans flipping about the bat like they have the number one rushing offense in terms of uh, offensive DVOA um Jonathan Taylor leading like one arguably the best running back in the league right now and the thing is I'm curious to see how it goes against the Texans because they're ranked eighth in rush DVOA 25th against the pass so on defense so I'm curious to see if we see Carson Wentz have to play some hero ball because of how well uh, if the Texans defense is able to stop the running game at all and force Carson Wentz to be the passer. And um, uh, we've seen in previous weeks, it's not the way, it's not the recipe for success for Indianapolis. So preemptive cancel for Carson Wentz. Uh, this last game against Houston, Jonathan Taylor uh, had 14 carries, 145 yards. If you do some quick math in your head. That's over 10 yards a carry. That's a first down a carry uh, and two touchdowns. This that, that Frank Wright gave a lot of good quotes about how the Bucks did everything they could to discourage the run, and that's why they threw it. You know which defense just does absolutely nothing to discourage the run in terms of quality of play, in terms of, of schematic change-ups, in terms of how they line up? The Houston Texans, baby. Uh, 
I appreciate the cancel of Clutch Carson Wentz, especially because, I don't know if you guys saw, but after the, the game against the Saints, Prescott's now below Wentz in total EPA for the season, and some of the 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 oh the nerds were back on the whole like oh prescott wentz debate and i was not happy with that oh, no. uh, so i very much appreciate the preemptive <laughs> carson wentz cancel but this game is going to be the sort of game where he just all you got to do brother take a snap and turn around for the entire second half that's going to be the whole game plan the texas defense is hilarious to watch like i was while i was writing the i wrote the rams piece this week and i watched the rams uh, texans game it's like they run the the coverages they run in Madden, like Madden, they have all like the, the cover, they have cover two, cover three, but like the, the computer players don't actually like think like NFL players do. They just drop to their little zone and stay in there. That's how the Texans play zone defense. They're still playing like mid nineties, Tampa two spot job, cover three. And it's just hilarious to watch in 2021. I was going to say, I'm banking on Tarot having a big game, but seems like we're not going with that and that is hilarious that's a hilarious comparison because it's like you know get to your spot stick there computerized decision making on the defense that's ridiculous it was a smart gamble by you because you canceled clutch carson wentz and we're not gonna see any clutch moments like there's not gonna be a clutch situation in this game if we get there i take tyrod over wentz in the clutch a hundred times out of 100 <laughs> uh and so it'll, it'll work for you but I, I I continue to just think Tyrod's playing really, really good ball in just a really, really bad context. And I, I greatly appreciate that he's putting that out there. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodello.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. We are on to Give Me a Reason, our final segment in which we take the worst games of the week and I try to give Kalen and Steven a reason to watch them. I will say it is backup quarterback week in the NFL, and accordingly, I have never had less in the cupboard. Uh, the quiver is bare. We got nothing, but we're going to do our darndest. Five games on the docket. Uh, what is it that you guys would like to hear for Give Me a Reason to start? Uh, I want Jaguars-Rams. Okay, this is actually one of the easier ones. So I very much appreciate that. Uh, this is the Jalen Ramsey revenge game. Jalen has yet to play the Jacksonville Jaguars oh since he was traded to the Rams. Now you say, oh boy, right? Because it's Jalen <laughs> Ramsey. And obviously the situation in Jacksonville did not end well, right? He backed up a Brinks truck. He wanted to get paid. Team was terrible. Uh, he kind of like forced his way out. Not really, but he just obviously wasn't happy and made clear he wasn't happy. And then Jacksonville traded him, which was the appropriate decision for the franchise at the time. Got two first round picks. Pretty good return for a non-quarterback. And obviously good return for the Rams because Ramsey's amazing. But this week, Jalen Ramsey was asked about it. 
and was surprisingly non-Jalen oh, Ramsey. I was he there, was, yep. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, you were there. Okay, so okay. I, I, I want to hear about how it was. I'll read the quote real quick. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I don't care. He said initially when asked about how he feels to play, uh, playing the team he used to play for. This is from the Rams wire, Cameron De Silva. And then, very good Jalen Ramsey quote. Uh, it's cool. It was part of my journey. You know what I mean? I was happy to be there. So it is what it is. This ain't really like about me playing Jacksonville. It's another game, right? I don't even really much know people there no more. They got a whole new damn near organization. Like I only know probably like five people on the team and I don't even really be talking to them like that. I don't even talk to like maybe two of them. So Ramsey's like, listen, I'm playing the Jags, but I just really don't care because the only guy I know there is Miles Jack and the rest of them are new <laughs> and I didn't play with them. And I just did a whole new thing, which is honestly a good point. So I always do I the love Jalen so much, man. Yes. This is why anyway, I love Jalen. Right. Watch because it's Jalen Ramsey revenge game. He's absolutely going to pick off Trevor Lawrence. But also uh, watch because, uh, and I want to hear Kalen, what, like, I imagine Ramsey, for as much as he's selling this, is still going to be a little bit jacked up for this game. There's no way he's not, right? I mean, he, that's the thing. He's like, it's football, so I'm going to be jacked up. It's like, he, he's hyped because it's a football game. And I respect that. It was hilarious to me because my, my guy, Gary Klein from the LA Times, asked him, you know, like, it's been two and a half years. Is that a long time or a short time to you? And Jalen Ramsey just staring at him. He's like, no, nah, man, it's just been time. It's just time. It's it's just been two years. I don't know what you want. And Jalen Ramsey I, taking the classic <laughs> athlete approach of just repeating the words of the question back to the questioner with like an indifferent tone and hoping that's an answer. It was hilarious because I, I get it. I totally get where he's coming from and I get where Gary's coming from where it's like, do you feel like it's a lot or it's a little in your perspective? And he's like, it's just time, man. I don't know. And it's it was a hilarious dynamic to watch. This is why I love Jalen. You look at guys like Jamal Adams who have to, like, do this fake hype myself up. Like, the funniest thing was him saying that he remembers everyone that was drafted ahead of him. And, like, Marshawn Lattimore or someone was like – it was, like, three people. (laughs) It was five of them. But, uh, like, Jalen, I don't – I honestly don't think he's up for this game because there's not a receiver that he can match up with. I think that's how Jalen gets pumped for games. Like, when you hear him talk about going up against DeAndre Hopkins – it's like a guy in love. Like that's what makes him hype. Like who is he going to get excited for? Marvin Jones's corpse. Listen, <laughs> Tavon Austin also revenge game. That's the narrative, baby. Uh, two early drafted premier athletes who've had the exact same caliber of career: Jalen Ramsey and Tavon Austin. We're, I'm watching the game. I'm going to watch the that's game. That's a so yeah. I'll watch. I'm watching too. Give yeah. him a ding. The uh, <laughs> the re- the revenge game bit. There's been months just leading up to trying to buy the Jalen Ramsey against the Jaguars game. Four left. What would you like? Uh, give us Vikings at Lions. Okay. So I spent a lot of time on this one. Uh, obviously, the Lions here at this point are still winless. There's five games left on the schedule. I assumed this was going to be their best chance at a win, and I was going to take that angle, but they actually have the Falcons and the Seahawks this year, which if their one win is against the Seahawks, oh, I'll be I'll be so happy. But regardless... Uh, so I was floating around that, couldn't really get there. Uh, and then I stumbled across just a tremendous headline from the Detroit Free Pass. This is Dave Burkett. Uh, I'm going to read it out to you now. Detroit Lions coach Dan Campbell regrets running on third and 32 versus Chicago Bears. <laughs> <laughs> and so the story goes on. Uh, on second thought, Dan Campbell could do over on that third and 32 play. Uh, he says there's uh, three calls in particular he regrets from three weeks calling offensive plays, which... 
it's worth noting, Dan Campbell has just started calling plays over the last three weeks for the Lions, replacing offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn. Uh, our production uh, assistant, Chris Sutton, just dropped OMG Amazing in the chat, so I'm glad I got everybody with that one. <laughs> um, for context, they had uh, three straight penalties on first down, which got them to first and 30. Then they threw a screen. They threw two screen passes, uh, gained negative two total yards, and on third and 32, from their own 49-yard line, handed the football off. So it's worth noting, like, a 15-yard completion puts you in long field goal range. And they were like, no, we got to run it on third and two. And Campbell said, it's one thing to run it, but I hated the run that I called. That's one. But two is hindsight I wish I would have thrown. So first he clarified it was just the wrong run call. But then also, yes, I do wish I had thrown, which tremendously delightful headline. But the real story here is that we don't really get to see people learn how to call plays at the NFL level. That's like not a thing that you get from an X's and O's perspective ever. Campbell never called plays at the professional level before the last three weeks for the Detroit Lions. And listen, they're averaging 13 points a game. I'm not going to pretend like it's amazing, but they had the game against the Steelers where they were running on third and 10, like successfully they're throwing like draws and screens and a bunch of like creative. We don't trust our quarterback stuff out there as best as they can. And they've dealt with injuries and they had Tim Boyle out there for a game or whatever. Uh, so firstly watch to see if Dan Campbell calls a third and 32 run again, because sure, but also watch because he's learning how to call plays on the fly. And it's honestly like really interesting to see how Detroit's trying to generate offense when they don't trust anybody right now. And the offensive coordinator does not know what he's doing. It's a very like, cool edge case right now in the league in my opinion uh see this is the this is the challenge with this segment it's a it's a good it's a good reason to watch the problem is we're not going to actually hear him call the plays we're just going to have to watch the third and 32 runs which no (laughs) one wants to do like if you could promise me that there was like a mic'd up and they were playing dan campbell's headset during the broadcast oh i'm watching that i'm staying tuned for all three hours of the game but if i can't hear it then it doesn't do anything for me i'll wait till after the game for him to bemoan his third and 32 call. It would be funny to hear him. I wonder what, how he calls plays. He's probably like <laughs> like a guy like ordering at like Denny's at 2 a.m. Like he's just like, uh. Give me. Give me. Uh, let's go with the run on third and 32. Honestly, I don't even think it's that bad of a call. I don't know why he's beating himself up. I would not trust Jared Goff or Tim Boyle in that situation either. And it didn't matter. Like you weren't going to. You guys are going to lose anyway. Who cares? That that That's my thing, though. You're getting in the third and 32. I don't think Anthony Lynn was doing. I mean, all things considered, you have Jared Goff as your quarterback, and you don't have a lot of playmakers on the outside. I don't think Anthony Lynn was doing that bad of a job. Um, mm-hmm. So, no, I'm, I'm not going to watch that. I'll expect to Dan Campbell to stop calling plays, man. It's like 13 points a game. Anthony Lynn wasn't even doing that bad. Dan Campbell was like, I just right. got to get more involved. It's it's very <laughs> sad, but it's still kind of interesting. All right, three games left. I'm not going to lie. Those are my two like strongest ones. So that's what we're dealing with right now. What else would you like? Chats Eagles. All right, listen. Firstly, it's the Joe Flacco revenge game. It's the oh, first in-season revenge game we've had. I don't even know if Flacco's allowed on the sidelines because of his COVID situation. But anyway, it's the Flacco revenge game. Uh, Zach Wilson's going to play. He's back from injury. Uh, I went looking for some Zach Wilson news. If you Google Zach Wilson, the fourth highest headline right now is Zach Wilson's girlfriend reacts to Wilson's seventh start. So that's where Wilson news is at right now. Is we're just fourth highest headline. How does his girlfriend feel about how he played? Um, Also... Robert Sala wants him to be Superman, which I feel like is like the wrong coaching point. Regardless, the Eagles 
are still not sold that Jalen Hurts is going to start. Hurts very strongly said on Wednesday, I'm good, I'm going to play. And then we saw uh, uh, an hour ago, Ian Rappaport was on NFL now literally 10 minutes ago, uh, Jalen Hurts' ankle is truly up in the air, 50-50, not going to know until game time. So we might be getting Gardner Minshew versus Zach Wilson. So the offensive stories are just screwed here. Nothing. So we go to defense. Eagles defense isn't interesting or good. Jets defense isn't interesting or good. I have legitimately zero reason for to watch this game, and I would personally like to just take a pass, take the L, and move on to better and brighter pastures. I like I like that. I was gonna say there's too much there's too much green in this game. I'm not gonna it's gonna be not pleasing aesthetically. It's not gonna be pleasing like football wise. Why don't even broadcast it? Just tell us who won and then we'll be we'll be content. I was gonna say, but you had an opportunity to say QB factory. I guess you could have leaned into that with Gardner Minshew starting, but yeah, I'm I'm not gonna watch that. Uh, don't watch this game. Go on the timeline. Uh, my mom is a Jets fan. I'm an Eagles fan. Uh, and so just watch to see what my mom texts me. She texts me every Jets game, and usually it's just wild takes. This is absolutely not based on reality, but are always a good time. She really likes – she thinks Zach Wilson's a nice-looking young man. So that's been her main takeaway of the season thus far. <laughs> Two games left. What would we like? Uh, give us the Giants and Dolphins. All right. All right. I need the – we're recording the Zoom. I need the video on, and this is important. I wrote about Tua Tagovailoa for Wednesday. Okay, I wrote about him and I said, I said, listen, the Dolphins are doing a good job building around him. They've built the correct offense for him. Uh, it's a limited offense right now, but that's kind of what it's got to be if you've got to win with Tua. And Stephen can attest because I was talking with him uh, about this piece before I wrote it. I was very confident. I had done a nice job straddling the fence on like Tua is bad and Tua is good. I was like, this is a very even keeled and honest piece that will satisfy both sides of the aisle. As it turns out, no. (laughs) (laughs) It was not. Because I did not mention clearly enough that the Dolphins offensive line is bad, which it is not as bad as you think. But anyway. It is not. It's playing better. <laughs> the Dolphins' pass protection isn't that great. And Dolphins fans were like, all you did was write about how Tua doesn't throw the ball down the field. Why didn't you write about the offensive line? It's because Tua just doesn't throw the ball that far down the field. And that's just kind of what he does. But that's not the point. The point is, give me a reason to watch the game. And the reason is this. It's because Tua's going to be amazing. All right? Tua's the best quarterback that ever played. Tua's going to be so good. Tua's going to throw the ball so far down the field. He's going to complete so many downfield passes. And it's going to be... Uh, high completion percentage and high a dot and it's going to be going to score so many points and two is going to be the best quarterback ever and i'd like to be that on the record i'd like for that to be recorded and i'd like for us to use that on social as many times as possible my reason to watch the game is that two is a good quarterback and nobody can ever accuse me of saying anything otherwise thank you for your time here's what ben is learning as (laughs) someone who's relatively new to being a national takesman like you you were the uh, draft analyst you wrote about prospects and and yes. you had NFL takes, but you, I've, I've been there before where I like, ah, oh, I did such a good job, like keeping this balance. Like I, I I'm not high on this player, but I, I'm at least going to be fair. And then you put out the article and then the fans of that team just cherry pick every bad thing that or everything you didn't say. And it, it, it's never enough. So don't, don't feel too bad about that, about how Dolphins fans reacted. I just want to say Dolphins fans. You guys are a fan base that rooted for Dan Marino, like the ultimate gunslinger quarterback. 
Show right. some respect for yourself, man. How do you defend this? Like, you have eyes. You're seeing it. You and watch the offense. <laughs> it's just how he plays. It's just what the play style is. And here's the thing. Watch the All-22. Jalen Waddle is getting open downfield, and sometimes there's open pockets. Like, there was a play from the last game, I think Nate uh, Tice tweeted it out, where he had Waddle wide open, and he had time to throw it, and he just threw the check down instead. Like, this is who he is. This is who he was at Alabama. It's who he was it, uh, last year. It's who he always has been. I think he's still a decent quarterback. I think he could be a good quarterback if he gets a little more aggressive. It's just, let's be realistic about what he is. And – the conversations comparing him to Justin Herbert. Like I know I said earlier, the Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert comps are, are kind of crazy, but at least that's realistic. The two Herbert com- uh, comps. Good Lord. That's like comparing Mitch Trubisky to Pat Mahomes, which did happen. We should No, I mean like two- <laughs> he was selected before Patrick Mahomes and NFL. No, I directly uh, compared. Yeah. Chose. No, no, that's what, that's why I brought it up because Tua was taken before Herbert, but I'm saying two years later, we weren't still having Mitch Trubisky, Pat Mahomes conversation, even though Mitch was pretty good in two, 2018. He was like top five QBR. I made it 13 weeks before I really pissed off a fan base. And, man, I, again, I would have told you right when the pitch came off the hand, I was like, that's that's a good piece. And then exactly. Like, yeah. I've been there I before, man. I've been there Pass protection graphs tweeted at me still to like 48 hours later. People are like, you don't have a response to this graph? No, I don't have a response to the graph. I watched the football game. I wrote about Sam Darnold like two years ago saying the Jets fans just like, you know, save yourself the trouble. Don't get invested in this guy. And they were, and I, I wrote a whole article, and they were like, you didn't mention that he had mono, and that's why he's playing bad. Yeah, sure. I'm. I'm sure that's why he's play. He, that's why he's still playing bad. Kalen, what's your worst? What's what, what fan base hates you the most, and what did you do to to, to warrant it? I'm trying to think. I I can't remember. I know I I said something about early last year because I'm horrible at identifying run fits, and I know I said something about Roquan Smith in an article that was like praising the Bears' defense last year. It was like week three, right? And I wrote about how like they could actually be legit, and of course they ended up falling apart right after that. Um, I remember fans definitely jumping all over me for that, but I, I can't think of anything like on that level. 48 hours later, I know people didn't like me when I wrote about Justin Fields and people were calling me a race baiter, but that's the only other time I can think for, of something Wait, wait, where, for the pre-draft Justin Fields? Yeah, for the like pre, he, yeah, oh, where I read for sure piece. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. People were mad that you didn't bring up that he can't go through his progressions, which, yeah, okay, different podcast. Yeah. We're already yeah, way yep. over. We yeah. have one game left. Again, it is the backup quarterback bowl. So we have Mike Glennon and the Giants playing the Dolphins. Uh, that game is also unwatchable. Uh, Cardinals at Bears is the final one. Uh, Kyler Murray is still limited in practice. Justin Fields is still limited in practice. I would love to tell you we're getting Kyler and Justin. I think if we are, watch it because Kyler's back and Justin Fields is back. And those are two of the most fun quarterbacks to watch. However, uh, we might get Colt McCoy versus Andy Dalton. Decisively less, uh, you know, Murray versus Fieldsy. I will say, though. That is a starting quarterback. I totally forgot, by the way, Colt McCoy was drafted by the Browns. We remembered that during uh, this draft process. Shout out Colt McCoy. Uh, from 2012 to, th- to 2020, that is eight seasons, Colt McCoy had two total wins as a starting quarterback. In 2021, he also has two. He's two and one. Cliff Kingsbury is out here winning some games with late-era Colt McCoy. I brought up with Taylor Heineke, the throws in the middle of the field, no quarterback of the last three weeks has been better throwing middle of the field than Colt McCoy. They're working between the numbers, quick game stuff. He's zipping it in there. It's very, it's, 
it's very much what you want to see when you have your backup quarterback in there and playing to his strength and whatever. So, uh, you know, watch for Kyler, Justin Fields, we pray. But also, if it's McCoy versus Dalton, uh, watch to see Colt McCoy win more games in 2021 than he won in the last eight years of, of football previous. Yeah, that's a that's a buzzer. Yeah. I've largely avoided buzzers by making jokes, but these have all been buzzers. You should have just stuck with the hope that Kyler was playing. Like, going with, oh, Colt McCoy's going to play and you should watch him win, that's that's not a good selling point. I got to say, this is, this might have been one of your worst reasons of the season. I'm, keep, <laughs> I'm holding you accountable. Do better. Listen. <laughs> I looked at this slate for a long time, and I was just like, "Man, there's less starting quarterbacks in this slate than there are than there are backup quarterbacks." That's where I was. It's not even like Geno ones. It's just understandable. Sad, bad quarterbacks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's still it's a buzzer for me too. <laughs> Justin Fields was playing. Race Bader Kalen would have been all over <laughs> that, but. <laughs> that will do it for us on the week 13 friday preview show a loaded week of very fun and very interesting nfl games in the first two segments and then in the final segments games to just largely avoid unless you have those woeful fantasy and betting interests thank you as always to kayla and steven for joining me here on the show we're back every single week on friday previewing this now december the final regular season month of nfl action and of course steven and i are on the sunday evening monday morning show as we recap all of the week 13 action thank you so much to the aforementioned chris sutton our man behind the curtain for his production on this episode and his man behind the curtain arjuna ramkapol for additional production supervision same time same place next week <laughs> <laughs>